So this really is a time to not sit back and uh, have the, the wind knocked out of us, but actually to lean into God. God, what are you doing? You are sovereign. You are Lord over all of this. So what are you up to? And so this morning, I want us to lean into a particular passage that will encourage that. And just a a bit of information here. We were in a series on spiritual practices. We were two weeks in, and we were looking at meditating on Scripture, interacting with God through Scripture, and here we are. We hit pause on that, and now we get to practice it. So you at home, in your car, wherever you are, you get to practice what we were, what we were talking about, and we'll come back to it um, in a few weeks when we're able to gather together. But in the meantime, we're picking passages that lift our eyes up and remind us of who God is in these times, and passages that remind us of who we are in Christ. Friends, we, God is glorious. And God makes us glorious. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so, yes, we feel the discomfort in times like this. It's strange. It's odd. It's challenging. People have gotten sick and died. And and that's serious. But at the same time, we are God's kids. We are servants of the Lord Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, seated in heavenly places with him. And we have a perspective that others don't. And we want to share that perspective and share the gospel in times like this. So if you want to look in your Bible at Hebrews 12, 25 through 29, we're going to look at the good news of God's unshakable kingdom that we can receive and live in in times like this. And so this passage is all about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're going to look at a few points here. And before we do that, I want to give a little bit of context. The, the book of Hebrews is written by someone we don't know who it is. It's an anonymous book. It, we don't know who the author was. There's different theories on it, but it was written sometime probably between 60 and 90 AD. It was written to Jewish Christians, probably in Jerusalem, perhaps Rome, And the whole point of the book of Hebrews, and this is important because it's going to come through in chapter 12, is to demonstrate the supremacy of the Lord Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews is writing this, and it's actually more of a sermon than anything. It's meant to be read. These chapters, these 13 chapters, are meant to be read in house churches where the church gathered and worshiped much like where you are now. So they would take this letter to Hebrews And they would read it. And the whole point is the supremacy of Jesus over angels, over Moses, over the Old Testament priesthood. And the idea, the assertion that he fulfills all the longings and all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And really, they're beginning to face the... uh, a time of impending persecution and suffering. And so the book lifts their eyes up to see the king and to see him in his unshakable kingdom. Chapter 12, what's going on here, because we're going to dip into just a few verses. At the end of chapter 12, you can see there that the preceding 24 verses are contrasting the old covenant and the new covenant. And so it's setting this the stage here for this little section here is going to continue that contrast between 
the goodness of the old covenant and the glory of the new covenant. And so we'll find this idea from the lesser to the greater working out in this section here. What we're going to see, three things. There's a warning in this passage, 25 to 29, uh, a warning to listen to God, and there's a biblical basis or support for that that the author of Hebrews lays out. And then thirdly, there is an invitation and encouragement to receive the kingdom, to live into it, and to worship the holy God. So let's look at the first thing, and again, like we've been doing in recent weeks, so that you at home can pause and Uh, dive into this on your own and pray. We'll leave some moments for that. But looking at uh, verse 25 through 29, I want to read it. And I'll make a few comments and then you can pray it together at home. Just bear with me a moment here. Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. This is the word of God. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? So again, I'll I'll explain this in a moment here, but he's referencing in the preceding verses, God speaking from Mount Sinai on earth, and then he's going to explain what he means by God speaking from heaven. Verse 26, at that time, at Sinai, Exodus 19, God's voice shook the earth, but now God has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For indeed, our God is a consuming fire. So the whole point of this passage is God's unshakable kingdom. And the first thing that we see there in verse 25, look at it. It's a warning. It's a directive. And the point of it is, listen to God. Look at verse 25. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. This passage presents a God who speaks, a God who spoke in the past, a God who continues to speak, and a God who will speak again in a monumental kind of way. Um, Look at this here. This will shed some light on this passage, Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. And again, there's echoes of this in chapter 12, so we're going to go back and look at Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, and listen to this. This is beautiful. This is about the king and about the Lord speaking through him. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days... God has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. 
on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So we're seeing in chapter 12 what was laid out in chapter 1, that God speaks. God spoke this passage in Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 1 talks about God speaking to the Old Testament fathers and mothers of the faith, Abraham and Sarah and Moses and David. God spoke to the prophets, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the word of the Lord would come to them. And then Hebrews is underscoring that God in these last days has spoken through his son, the son's incarnation, his life, his message, his ministry, the message he brings about the kingdom of God speaks and reveals who the father is to us. And we know that not only does the Lord speak through the scriptures and through the Son, but the Lord continues to speak through the Spirit as well. Look back at Hebrews 12, 25, and I'm going to give you a moment here to meditate. But I want to explain something. This whole setup here in this passage is important to see. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So at verse 25, the first line there. God is speaking on Mount Sinai, and it's the revelation of the law, the Torah. Many of us know this story that it was a terrifying scene. It was overwhelming. It was so overwhelming in Exodus 19, it says that Moses trembled. He was mortified. He was a friend of God, but what was happening on Mount Sinai with the lightning, the smoke, the revelation, God speaking from the fire, Moses, even Moses was overwhelmed. And so this passage is saying, ponder that for a moment here. That is the old covenant. We are part of a new covenant where God is not appearing on a mountain. God is not giving a law, but God is speaking through his son. The God of heaven is coming and making his word and his way known to us. And so the author is saying there at verse 25, do not refuse the God who speaks, the God who spoke at Sinai and the God who speaks even more clearly, even more vividly with greater grace, greater love in his son. Why don't we take a moment here and I'm going to let you at home meditate on this. The God who speaks. And look at verse 25. You can reread it maybe. Pull out an arrow prayer. I've got this one here. Father, we choose to listen to you, especially in difficult times. So lean into verse 25 here. God speaks. God speaks in difficult times like this. Take a few minutes here. Meditate on the word together. Then we'll come back and look at verses 26 and 27.
God speaks. One of the things that we really prize around our Lord's, we believe that God speaks through the scriptures. God has spoken through his son. God continues to speak through his spirit. And hopefully you're experiencing some of the peace that his voice brings. When we take time and we open the scriptures like this together, it lifts us up, lifts our attention up, gets us out of the entanglement of the media and all the other things coming at us in times like this. There's something about this passage that you cannot get around. I mean, really, this passage was a warning to the original readers. It's a warning of love and grace and mercy, but it's a wake-up call to see who they were dealing with. The God of heaven and earth. We're going to learn more about him, but this really was meant to get their attention. He's saying, friends, look. If he was this awesome and majestic and powerful at Sinai, imagine now that his mind and his will and his ways are even clearer in the person of Jesus. Don't take him for granted. His voice is clear. He's reaching out. Listen to him. That's the point of verse 25. The, the second of three points here is that the author of Hebrews looks at the scriptures. The apostle Paul does this. Looks at the Hebrew Bible and finds the foundation for their thinking and their words in the scriptures. And so the author of Hebrews is going to quote from one of the minor prophets, Haggai, here in a moment. But I want to read this again at verses 26 and 27. Make a few comments and then you can pray into it. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. And he's quoting from Haggai 2, 6 and 7, one of the minor prophets and says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. So the author of Hebrews is looking again at Mount Sinai. It was an earth-shaking moment. It was awesome. It was a revelation of God, a revelation of God's truth in the Torah, the law. And yet the author of Hebrews is saying, God's going to shake earth and heaven again. And again, there's no way to dilute this, friends. A shaking is coming. Some people get strange and set dates and do these kinds of things. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is crystal clear in the scriptures that the Lord has in his mind a shaking of the nations. When? I don't know. The Lord knows. But this should not surprise us. Even when things like what's happening right now with this virus, when that occurs, it, it's disturbing. And for those who get sick and loved ones that die, that is, that is serious. But friends, we should expect difficult times on the earth. And a passage like this reminds us of that. We shouldn't be surprised when the nations are shaken. And, and if I can be uh, a little bit transparent here, friends, as things get worse. This has been uh, 
uncomfortable and challenging for some, but again, as Christians, we read the scriptures, we look at the life of the early church, we look at the history of the church, we look at believers in other places, we should not expect smooth sailing through life. I'm trying to come to terms with this. I read a passage like this, and I realize I should expect the shaking of the nations. And one day, you read the scriptures, it's clear. Matthew 24, the whole book of Revelation, is abundantly clear that the Lord's going to shake all things. And the only thing that's going to remain is his kingdom. Some of you are saying, wow, I didn't expect it to be that heavy this morning. But again, there's no way to skirt around these things. The word of God is a word of God, is it not? And so it speaks to us, and we'll see this is good news for us. If we expect shaking, we expect sifting, and we expect difficult times, then we're not going to be surprised by it. We've got an unshakable kingdom that we're a part of. We've got our feet on ground that cannot be shaken. Let's look further into this. At verse 27, again, the author of Hebrews is pointing to the prophet Haggai and saying, I see something here. I see a promise, a prophetic word that's yet to be fulfilled. Christ came and brought fire to the earth and he shook things up, but there's something coming in the future a shaking, and you will know what it is and what happens then. This phrase, verse 27, yet once more indicates the removal of what is shaken. That is, created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Again, this is heavy stuff. I know it is. But the scriptures clearly teach it. The apostle Peter talks about it as well in his epistle that there is a coming moment when the Lord is going to shake things and consummate and finalize the establishment of his kingdom. And if we are meditating on the whole counsel of God, then we're not, we're not surprised by these things. We're prepared people. And so I think in moments like this, it's almost like a trial run. Yes, things are uncomfortable. Yes, people get sick. People die. This is difficult. People are lonely and isolated. But friends, we are part of an unshakable kingdom. The passage says in verse 27, there's something about shaking created things. And this is not saying that creation itself is bad. What does Genesis 1 and 2 teach us about the created order? Material creation. God looks at it and says what? It's good. It's good. So what this passage is talking about here is the shaking of the material things that we would idolize, that we would cling to. It's kind of a disordered love or affection if we're clinging to created things. Jobs, fame, fortune, cars, possessions. Those things are going to be shaken and sifted. And what remains is the spiritual, the eternal. One commentator says this, a guy named R.T. France, says that there is a coming moment when God will shake 
all of creation. And this indicates for the author of Hebrews, not just one further event in a series, but a single climactic event, the eschatological shaking of the created universe. Someone's going to see that. Some generation at some point is going to see that. A shaking of all things. And the scriptures teach us that in that shaking, we have great hope. It's actually an opportunity for the church to emerge in greater power, to pray for the sick, to bring the gospel, to care for the poor, for the broken. So let's take a moment here, these heavy verses at 26 and 27, and find a way, find a phrase to pray this. Something I picked out was, Father, your word says that things will be shaken. We hold on to you alone. So take just a few minutes. Find a few things that you can pray there together or pray between you and the Lord alone. Speak it out loud. Something happens as you pray and speak out the word of God. Then we'll come back in just a moment. Hope you're able to extract some of the richness out of these verses here. There's something about the Word of God coming to us and going to work on us. This piece right here is going to work on me. Father, your Word says that all things will be shaken. I want to hold on to you alone, even in times like this, clinging to the feet of Jesus. A third and final point out of these verses is found in 28 and 29, and it's invitation and encouragement to receive the kingdom of God and to worship the holy God. Let's read it again, verse 28 and 29. I'll point out a few things. 
and we can pray and you can have communion together. Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Verse 29, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. So friends, again, this is good news. Verse 28, in the midst of any and all shaking, we receive an unshakable kingdom. How do you receive something? You open your hands to it. You open your arms to it. You open your heart. How do you receive the kingdom? In the same way. It's the Father's pleasure to give us the kingdom. Receive it afresh this morning. The author is pointing to other passages in the Old Testament. So we've seen in Exodus 19 and Haggai 2 and now because the author's mind is filled with the word of God, he's referencing Daniel 7. And so these words about the kingdoms being shaken, and there's one unshakable kingdom, the author is actually using some of the very words from Daniel 7, where there's the vision of God and the Son of Man who approaches the throne of God. And all the, the nations are shaken. And there's only one kingdom that lasts, that actually ends up like a rock hitting and destroying all the others. And it's the spiritual kingdom of Messiah. And so the author is getting them to think through this as they read this together in a place of worship. And he's saying, you, church, you churches that are gathered in homes, Receive the kingdom. Yes, it's going to be an awesome, ominous day when the Lord shakes all things. But your feet are firmly planted in the kingdom. The kingdom of God's love and peace and power. We receive it. Look at verse, the latter part of that. Let us give thanks. So we receive the kingdom and then there's an invitation to what? To give thanks. To offer to God acceptable worship. What kind of worship? With reverence and awe. Why is it that we lose this sometimes? We're more inclined to say, yes, give thanks. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your unshakable kingdom. But I think even in times like this, and in the coming days and coming months, we'll see a rediscovery of worshiping the Lord with reverence and awe. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is clean and pure. It's not this kind of cowering fear. It's on your face. It's lifting up, saying, God, you are holy. You are awesome. You are majestic. You're full of love and grace and mercy. I do not take you for granted. You're not like us. You are awesome. I tremble before you like Moses and the saints of old. Not because you're mean or unkind or unforgiving, but because you're holy 
and awesome. And so that's the invitation that's being laid out here. You receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken and you worship the Lord in these kinds of ways. With reverence and awe, there at verse 28, is also using some of the language. You can write this down and look at it later, but in Hebrews 5, 7, it talks about the Lord Jesus having reverence and awe in his heart toward the Father. And so the author of Hebrews is pointing out that Jesus is the supreme example for us to follow. That Jesus, in reverent submission to the Father's will, he did what the Father wanted him to do, says Hebrews 5, 7. Let's end with this at verse 29. This can be misunderstood. I want to shine some light on it to clarify here, and then we can meditate on it. For indeed, our God is a consuming father, uh, fire. <laughs> I said that because our God is reminiscent of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. There's something very intimate about this. It's not the God or God. It's our God. There's something intimate and tender in this. Just like we would pray our Father, we're praying our God is a consuming fire. What in the world does this mean? Again, it's reiterating many of the word pictures that we've seen from Sinai and Exodus 19 and Daniel Daniel chapter 7, fire is an interesting thing. So if you think about the effect that fire can have on different things at different times, it sheds some light on this. If you think about it, if there is a fire before you and you put in a particular metal or an alloy, what happens? It purifies it. It transforms it. That is how a sword is forged and made, is to insert this metal into the fire. So it's actually a very positive, transformative experience. What happens if you take a piece of wood, a two by four, and stick it in that same fire? It's consumed, it's burned up, it's the same fire. This passage in a similar way is portraying God is a consuming fire. And friends, again, there's no way around this other than what the text says. God is a blazing, consuming fire. The scriptures reveal this. Exodus 3, how does God appear to Moses in the burning bush as flaming fire? We've already seen at Mount Sinai, the Lord appears and speaks in flaming fire. The Lord appears to the prophets, someone like Jeremiah, and he says, my word is like fire, and it's like fire in your bones. This whole theme is key. The Lord sits on a throne of fire. Daniel 7 talks about it. When Jesus is transfigured in Matthew 17 on the mountain, his face is like the sun shining in its strength. His face is like fire. What happens when Jesus appears to the two disciples in Luke 24 as he's walking with them on the road to Emmaus? What happens to their hearts? They burn. 
We know that the word of God says here, God is fire. First John tells us that God is love. So the fire that courses out of God's being is love. And for some, that is a wonderful thing. You can fully embrace it and let your life, like that sword, enter in to the very fire of God. And it does good things. It purifies. It transforms. It makes you who you are. And it might be painful at times. But if you're postured right, Lord, you're a fi- I receive your love. I'm willing to receive your loving discipline, your purifying work. I want to be purified and transformed. It's a positive thing. For others, friends, the notion of God being a consuming fire is not positive. It consumes their lives. God is holy and awesome. And so the author is saying here, listen to God, cling to God, open your life to the consuming love of God. Let him love the stuff out of you that shouldn't be there. So take a moment here and then Mike's going to come up and lead communion. And pray into this, that verse 28 and 29 about the unshakable kingdom and about God as a consuming fire. And then we'll transition to communion.